ministered at my church. Every square inch I walked, the microphone kind of did those loud squeaks, and everybody in the audience kind of twitched a little bit. It was really, really comfortable. Um, so we brought some backups today. I've got the Britney Spears in here. We've got the handheld. We've got everything we need this evening. I, I am so excited to be here tonight. So I'm excited that you are here, and I want to welcome anyone who's new or maybe joining us tonight. Um, I've asked that the house lights be left on tonight. For those of you in the nosebleed section, I know what it, I know. I know what it is like after a long day at work, and it's always 8,000 degrees in here, and the lights go down, and those eyes are so heavy. So I'm going to do everything I can tonight to make this an environment where you can learn and, and be fed from the Word of God um, this evening. Some of you may know me. Most of you probably don't. My name is Joanne Driscoll. I'm 25 years old. Um, I've been coming to FIRE for about a year and a half. Some of you are probably familiar with my story, and I want to share a little bit more of that this evening. Um, but I came to FIRE during a very broken season in my life. And God has used this ministry to really um, heal my soul and to meet me here numerous times. So I'm glad that you're here tonight, no matter what you come into this room with, no matter what's going on in your life. I'm glad that you're here and that you can meet with the living God. Would you join me in a word of prayer before we open this evening? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, we thank you for your love and your compassion and your forgiveness in our lives. Lord, we thank you for who you are. You are worthy, Lord. God, we come before you tonight with all of our junk, and, and we ask for forgiveness. Lord, we ask that you would um, forgive us of our sins. Your scripture says, Who can come before you except he that has clean hands and a pure heart? So, Lord, right now we ask that you would cleanse our hands and purify our hearts so that we can learn um, from you this evening. Lord, I thank you for the privilege it is to come into this room week after week and to learn from your word. Father, I pray that tonight you would teach us more how to learn from your word. God, I pray that, that my words, Lord, would be like the writer of the red letters. God, that you would erase right now from, from the plan anything that you do not want spoken and that you would add to anything that you know that we need to hear this evening. God, this time is completely yours and we welcome you in this sanctuary. We ask all these things in your precious son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. One of my favorite preachers is S.M. Lockridge. In fact, you can listen to him on YouTube, um, for those of you who are interested. And he's a preacher from Detroit, Michigan. He delivered a very famous speech in 1976. And if you've never been to one of his services or heard any of his preaching, this preacher, he can preach for four hours and not even take a breath. I mean, he's got something to say, and he really delivers it. And I'm going to read for you this evening a, a piece of this famous speech that he delivered, this famous sermon. If you look for it on YouTube, it's called My King. But I'm reading it tonight, and I like to title it, You Can Trust Him. You can trust him. He is the one who made us. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. No means of measure can define his limitless love, and no far-seeing telescope can bring into visibility the coastline of his shoreless supply. I'm trying to tell you tonight that you can trust him. No barrier can hinder him from pouring out his blessing. He's enduringly strong and he's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast and he's immortally graceful. He's empirically, powerfully, and impartially merciful. He is the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of the world. He is God's son. He is a sinner's savior. He is the centerpiece of civilization. I'm trying to tell you, fire, that you can trust him. He can satisfy all your needs, and he can do it simultaneously. He supplies strength for the weak, and he's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes, and he sees. He guards, and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the leper. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives, he defends the people, he blesses the young, he regards the age, he rewards the diligent, he beautifies the meek. I'm trying to tell you, fire, that you can trust him tonight. He is the key to knowledge, he is the wellspring of wisdom. He is the doorway of deliverance, he is the path of peace, the roadway of righteousness, he is the highway of holiness and the gateway of glory. Fire, you can trust him. 
He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He is the first and He is the last. He is all things. He is the joy out of every sorrow. He is giver of life. He is the light of every darkness and the peace that passes all understanding. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift, and you can trust Him tonight. There is no God before Him, and there will be none after Him. He is the first. He is the last. He is preeminent, and there is no other God. Fire, you can trust Him tonight. Why is it that we can hear a message like this? We go to church, and, and we hear all this stuff about God, all these truths about the Lord, and, and we believe it, and we get all pumped up, and we believe it deep, 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 way deep down. But when it comes to the day-to-day, it's very hard to play this out in our day-to-day situations and in our lives. It's a hard thing to, to, to get from up here to down here. We have it in our heads, but how do we get it to our hearts? Do you trust him this evening? Here's a couple situations of maybe how this plays out in our lives. Imagine a spectrum up here. And on this side of the spectrum, let's just say perhaps. Now, I'm not saying this happens in fire. Let's just say, per se, there's someone you're interested in. And you're talking and you're developing a, uh, a closer friendship. <laughs> and with time, you think your hopes get a little bit up. You think this is going to lead to a courting dating type relationship. And you're all excited and you're telling your friends about it. You're telling your family about it. And you are absolutely distraught when you realize that that's not going to happen. Maybe the person ends up pursuing someone else or or all of a sudden it just dies. Maybe it's not a rejection in and of itself, just the relationship kind of fizzles out and, and you're not sure what happened. And here you are, and it absolutely stinks. And we've all been there, and if you haven't, you will. Um, <laughs> there's a path that we begin to go on when these things happen, and there's a thought process that goes on in our minds. And a lot of times it goes like this. This stinks. That's thought number one. Then it it continues to progress, and we go, well, what's wrong with me? Why didn't this person choose me? And we start to think, well, maybe I'm not good-looking enough. Well, maybe I'm not smart enough. Well, I clearly don't have what that other person has. So we start to compare ourselves, and we start to go down this negative thought process, and and maybe it leads to anxiety. Maybe it leads to depression. And and the thoughts can go on and on, and the merry-go-round of the mind goes around and around and around. And yeah, you've got to mourn a situation like that. But instead of mourning it and moving on, we stay there for days. Sometimes we stay there for months. And we start to believe that we're really not good enough. And on this side of the spectrum, we're continually asking, what is wrong with me? Another night I have to go home from fire alone or with no one interested and no one's going to call. And the thought process over here can really take us downhill very quickly. The other end of the spectrum, maybe that's not you at all, and God bless you if it isn't. (laughs) If you're on this end of the spectrum, life is good. You've got a great job. You're making a good salary. You don't have to worry about the relationship that got away because you have a 100 lined up ready to go. There's no problems over here. You come to church and you hear messages about hardship and suffering, and you really can't relate. Because God bless you, you've had a really easy life. And maybe you're one of the ones that sit here tonight and think, I don't really have a testimony other than I was born and raised and went to church. Maybe you come here tonight because you feel that it's the right thing to do, but not because you feel that you need to meet with the living God. And on this end of the spectrum, it's, it's never what is wrong with me. No, it's nothing is wrong with me. We've got everything put all together on this side of the spectrum. There's not really a need to trust God. There's not really a need for Him in our lives because we've never been pressed that hard on this side of the spectrum. We've never been put to that point where we have to really go before the Lord and ask Him to take care of a financial need. We've never been in financial hardship. Maybe you're not on either end of the spectrum. Maybe you're in the middle of the spectrum. Maybe maybe you're like me and within any given hour you can be over here and then right over here. And there's the low self-esteem side, and then there's the high self-esteem side. And what do we do with all of those questions? Those questions with, 
We know who God is, and we know it up here. But do we believe it in our hearts? And do we live that out day to day? Are we trusting God the way S.M. Lockridge did? And, and the questions that come up, we then wonder, are we being a good believer? Are we failing the Lord at the thought process that goes in our head? And, and why am I the only one like this? These are some really good questions, and we're going to tackle some of them this evening. And I want to start off by saying that I am the most guilty of all ends of the spectrum, okay? So don't think you're sitting there and feeling all bad about yourself. I've been there, too. Don't worry about it. Um, but God, but God. Um, every end of the spectrum, there's a lot of questions that go on. And questions can be a good thing. They can bring us closer to God, or they can be a really um, unfortunate thing that can bring us away from the Lord, um, it can, it can cause us to trust God or cause us not to trust God. The, there's a story in my life I'm going to share right now, and uh, most of you do not know because I've kind of held it at bay for a while, waited back and wanted to see what the Lord was going to do in my life. Um, but like I said, I'm guilty of all of this because I've been at every end of this spectrum. And um, most of you know that I grew up in Boston. About seven years old, I gave my heart to Jesus Christ, and he became my Lord and Savior. And I grew up in the church. I went to youth group, and when I was in youth group in high school, somewhere along the way, the Lord called me into ministry to preach and teach. And So I went to Gordon College up on the North Shore, and I, yeah, yeah, one other person from Gordon. Um, and in 2004, I graduated Gordon. From there, I, I felt that the Lord wanted me to develop some theology understanding in my life. And I made the decision to move to Lakeland, Florida, and began a job at Southeastern University and started my master's degree at their seminary down there. Things were looking good. I mean, I was going to become a, a pastor. It's like a professional Christian. Like, I wasn't missing the mark, you know? There's the timeline of life I had all planned out. And it was things that glorified the Lord. I had it. It was a perfect plan. I had, I would graduate from my master's. I would get married. I would have children. And then when the kids go to school, you know, off in college, then I'd travel and preach, and that would be the time for ministry. Well, I wouldn't be here tonight if that timeline went as planned. And I had quite a glitch in the plan. About two months after living in Florida, I got really sick. And um, I had a fever, and I had a real bad sore throat, so I went to a clinic down there. I didn't know anyone living down there. Um, just found a clinic and walked in. They did some tests. They thought I had strep throat, so they gave me some pills and sent me home. Great. Two weeks later, I went back to the clinic. And this time I had all of those symptoms, but my mid-back just had this horrible burning pain. Um, I had never had this kind of pain before. And they, they wrote it off as some kind of viral arthritis, like I was sick, and this was just a lingering of the sickness. So great. They give me some more pills. They send me home. Three weeks later, I went back to the same clinic, except this time I was close to crippled. Um, my knees had swelled up. My hips were swollen. I still had the fever, still had the sore throat, back pain, all kinds of things that you could imagine. All of my systems were shutting down, and I really looked just horribly sick. Um, they did loads of tests. They could see that something was wrong, but they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And this began a process for me of the next six months not knowing what was wrong with me, of going in and out of emergency room, major medical emergency after major medical emergency, and doctors not knowing what the problem was. So around Thanksgiving 2004, I moved back home. Well, I took two weeks temporarily off to figure it out. I thought, all right, we'll go back to Boston. They have smart doctors up there. <laughs> And uh, we'll figure it out. They'll give me a pill. I'll go back to Florida. We'll be all set. So I got on the plane, went back to Boston. Doctors up here, nothing. They had no idea what was wrong with me. They were running the gamut of tests, and nothing was, was proving positive. So there was not much that they could do for me but give me pills to keep me comfortable, um, which, in, in fact, ended up doing more damage. But within six months, I was now horribly, horribly sick. And the questions began to go through your mind. I mean, you can only imagine it. Questions like, what is wrong with me? Have I sinned in life that God would allow this to happen me, to happen to me? And you begin to go back over things. Well, maybe it was because of this sin that now I was paying this way. I must be a horrible person that God would give me 
something like this that nobody could really help me with. And the questions really continued and got deeper and deeper than that. And after about six months, good news. They figured out what it was. They figured out that I had Lyme disease. I had been bitten by a tick um, at some point in college. And this is a, a, an infection that affects most of your systems. So it can look like a lot of other diseases. Um, it's a lot like malaria. But the good news is that it's curable. So again, I'm thinking, all right, give me two weeks of something. I'm back on the plane, working, all set. I didn't know at the time that it can take years to cure. So the years go by, and the questions get deeper and deeper. And I become a little bit bitter with the Lord. I become a little bit angry with the Lord. I mean, he had told me, you know, in a scripture to pray for healing, and I would receive it. So I prayed for it, and I didn't understand why I wasn't receiving that quick touch, that instant miracle. I had the elders pray over me. I repented every sin I could think of. I did everything that the scripture says to do. And it was still allowed to be in my life. What do we do in situations like that? And with questions like that, I began to go around and around the merry-go-round of the mind. And it led to quite a destructive path. The scriptures we're looking at tonight come from the encounter with God, as, as um, David mentioned tonight. We're going through this devotional, and each week we go through some scriptures, um, and each day there's a passage for us to read. And this, it orients us this week to the book of Revelation. It's an interesting book. book of Revelation is a very difficult book. It's the last book in the Bible, and it's an apocalyptical book. It talks a lot about end times. So I'm thinking, how can this book, how can we preach on the end times, you know? So I'm talking tonight about tomorrow's passage because I think that it's the most relevant to us this week. And I think that tomorrow when you reread it, it'll be reinforced in your life and you'll be able to reapply some of the truths from tonight. Let's open our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. When I was going through this process of... of being diagnosed, being misdiagnosed time and time again, there were thoughts that would come into my head. And I didn't know at the time that they were lies. And, and there were lots of lies, lies that would make me think, no one's going to ever want me like this. What good could I be to God's ministry like this, crippled? How could God ever use or redeem something like this? Would God ever change this, or would this be what the rest of my life would be like? Fire, I'm very transparent before you tonight and, and opening up with some of these things, because I think that a lot of the times we are fighting and listening to what the enemy is speaking directly to our minds. Scripture says that the enemy throws at our minds what's called fiery darts. These fiery darts are negative thoughts that come at us day after day after day after day. And sometimes they've come at us so many times that we don't even realize that they're from the enemy. These lies have come at us so many times that we begin to believe that they're actually truth. Scripture also says that the truth will set us free. It's really quite simple. We have to know the truth to oppose the lies. We have to speak the truth Know it so that we can verbalize it to someone else in order to oppose the lies that are thrown at us. At this point in the sickness, I believed the lies that the enemy threw at me. One after one, and they began to define me, and I became defined by the illness. Tonight, the big idea that I want you to walk away with, if it's anything, just one point this evening, it's that proactively using the sword of the Spirit is what saves us. Proactively using the sword of the Spirit is what saves us. Scripture calls the sword of the Spirit, um, it, it references it time and time again, and what it's referring to is the actual Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God. Um, there's a part in the Scripture that talks about the armor of God, that we're to clothe ourselves in the armor of God. And the sword of the Spirit, the amazing thing about the sword of the Spirit is that it's the only part of the armor that's not only defensive, but it's offensive. In other words, it's something that we can use to fight. We don't have to sit back all the time and take the enemy's lies and let the enemy press us down and let the enemy define us. 
We can use the sword of the Spirit to fight back, and we don't have to listen to the enemy. And the sword of the Spirit is so sharp, it can cut any lie that the enemy has sent us. So we know that we need to use the sword of the Spirit to fight, right? But how do we do that? It's a lot easier said than done. It's kind of like the trust thing. We know we need to trust the Lord, but how do we do that? We do it by using the sword of the Spirit. You don't just have to be here tonight surviving. You can be thriving with the Lord. I think so many times as believers we feel like the enemy is attacking us so hard that we've got all that we can do to just survive. And if that's you tonight, I want you to know that you can leave tonight thriving with the Lord. You don't have to be on the defense all the time. We've got a sword to fight back. Let's learn how to use that sword tonight. Scripture in Revelation chapter 2, John is writing this book. John is on an island called Patmos. Patmos is off the coast of Turkey, present-day Turkey. And John is on this island as punishment of a crime. He's being ostracized. The current emperor of that time, his name is Emperor Domitian. He has John on this island, and the crime is this. John has led the Christian church, and which meant he was taking worship away from Emperor Domitian. This is the type of emperor we're dealing with. John's on this island, and he has a vision. And this vision is prophetic in nature. Now, something is a prophecy if it comes to pass. Okay, that's something simple that you can use to test anything in your life. Somebody says this is a prophetic word for you, that's all good and well. But if it comes to pass, it comes to play out in your life, then that was prophetic. So John has this prophetic word, which means it's going to come to play out. And in the word, John is told to write seven letters to seven churches. There's one church, one letter that we're looking at tonight. It's called the Church of Pergamum. Pergamum is on the west coast of present-day Asia, or on the western side of Asia. So there's a little bit of background. Let's pick it up. Chapter 2, verse 12. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes. I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. I'm going to take a few minutes and just go through that and teach a little bit, because really when you first look at that, it's kind of like, what does that have to do with us this evening? So I've put it up there. You can follow it along with me. Verse 12, we talked about Pergamum. We talked about where that is located. It goes on to talk about uh, the sharp, double-edged sword. We're going to have some fun this evening. When Scripture talks about the sharp, double-edged sword, as I mentioned, it's talking about Scripture. It's talking about the Word of God. But a double-edged sword is something that's very interesting. It's, it's similar to what you're picturing, and it's similar to this. It's got a blade on both sides. It's a Thracian sword. Typically in that time, this would have been made out of stone, and the stone would have been cut so jagged, if you envision this to kind of look like a Christmas tree on both sides, that's how many blades are actually off the blade in and of itself. So picturing that, it is quite the tool to do some damage. I was told not to cross this line. I may hurt somebody. So I will stay within my range here. Um, In Scripture, this typically symbolizes divine judgment. It's um, something that God uses as judgment. And we're going to have some fun with this this evening, but for now I'm going to put it down. Okay. (laughs) Just for your safety. (laughs) Volunteers, anyone? No, those hands aren't flying. (laughs) Good, let's move on to the next verse, verse 13. It talks about, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. What this is saying is, in Pergamum at the time, the emperors were worshipped. They were worshipped as if they were God. It's very similar to the 
the type of world that we live in today, there are so many things that are worshipped as a god. In our area, education is something that is hugely worshipped. I mean, I'm sure the list can go on and on. I'm not going to take a lot of time. But there are so many things that are put before God. And anything that we place higher than the Lord in our lives is an idol, even if it's something good. We're living in a very Pergamum-like area today. Let's look at the next verse. Um, well, it talks about Antipas. Antipas is the first martyr of Asia. And he was martyred under the same emperor that has sent John to this island. And this is the type of emperor we're dealing with. His name was Emperor Domitian. He not only had this man Antipas killed, he had him cooked to death in a bronze kettle. Mm. That's good. This is the sick and twisted leadership that is going on at that time. It's not solid leadership for people to follow behind. Verse 14, the teaching of Balaam. Balaam, if you look into the Old Testament, you'll see that he's a corrupt teacher. He's the type of teacher that says um, what you see in Scripture is good, but there's more to it. So some samples from our society may be, um, maybe when we believe the American dream to be God's dream. We see God's dreams um, God's plans in Scripture. We can see things that please God, but we assume that that includes a home with a white picket fence and 2.5 children and that we're married at a certain age. And if that doesn't happen, then we must not be being blessed by the Lord. That's not quite truth. And, and that's the type of teacher that Balaam was. He, he said that Scripture is good, but let's add to it. Maybe you can have some other samples in your life. Maybe you're thinking of something now. But I'd ask you, do you find yourself tonight in the Balaamite group? Maybe you're not a Balaamite. Maybe you're a Nicolaitan. Look at the next verse. Verse 15, it talks about holding to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were a heretical sect. They were a heretical group. In other words, it was like this. They had the scripture. They knew what the scripture says. Envision a line right here. They were one foot on this side of the scripture and one foot in the world. One foot picking and choosing the idols they wanted to worship. It's kind of like a saint on Sunday and ain't on Monday. You laugh because you know what it means. And, and I know that probably most of us have had moments in our life when maybe we've been like that. And maybe, maybe we come to church and we go through the motions and we worship God, but... We go to work on, on Monday, and really nobody would know that we're a Christian at all. That's a Nicolaitan. Do you find yourself as a Nicolaitan tonight? This passage is basically saying, listen, there are some of you here tonight, and some of you, you're doing great. You're fighting the fight. You're, you're running the race. But there are some of you that are picking and choosing your faith, and there are some of you that are living one foot in, one foot out. And they tell us what to do after that. It says, repent. Pretty simple. If that's you tonight, I ask that you'd consider in your heart to repent and to turn from those ways. And, and Scripture goes on to say that if you repent, to him who overcomes. It's interesting that it's not worded like, give it a shot and I hope you do your best. To him who overcomes. Through Christ, you will overcome. Through using the sword of the Spirit and the Word of God, you will overcome. And then it goes on to say what will happen next. You'll receive the hidden manna and a white stone. Manna, if you remember Old Testament theology, the Israelites, God provides food from heaven. In other words, it's like God saying, if you do this, if you come to me, I will give you something. I will take care of your needs so beyond anything that you could imagine or perceive in your lifetime. He's calling us to come unto him and to trust him and that we will give, be giving a white stone. In the time, a white stone was given to somebody who was victorious. They were given this almost as a trophy. They were given it if they were a victor, if they succeeded, if they overcame. So here we have the passage tonight. This is the type of church that's being written to and it's the type of church, like I said, that, that had mixed beliefs. It had mixed picking and choosing truths and not truths. And I want to remind you tonight that by proactively using the sword of the Spirit, that is how we will overcome.
There are three keys that point to not only how we don't have to survive, but we can thrive in the faith. And these three keys point to the how will we overcome. So we know that we need to use scripture in our life. But how do we do that? That's a lot easier said than done. How do we get that scripture that S.M. Lockridge had and spoke right through a whole message into our heads and into our hearts and become that scripture? Here it is. Three keys. Pretty simple tonight. And I'm going to fly right through them. Number one, what we think affects number two, how we act which then affects number three, who we are. Number one, what we think, affects number two, how we act, which then affects number three, who we are. Let's go through this. Number one, what we think. How do we distinguish what is false? You see, the problem in Pergamum, the problem with the Balaamites and the Nicolaitans, the reason why they were one foot in, one foot out, picking and choosing, is because they didn't know what the truth was. Simple illustration, imagine a Monopoly dollar. If you were shown that your whole life, would you not believe that that is the true dollar? We know that a Monopoly dollar is not worth anything because we know what the real dollar looks like. So we could spot a Monopoly dollar across the room anywhere and know that that's not a dollar bill. The texture is different. There's loads of things about it that distinguish it, and that's how we know that it is false. How do we know what is true? We need to learn the scripture. And there's three points, sub-points, or whatever you want to call it to this. But there was a part in my life in this Lyme disease journey where, where I really wasn't applying this. And at the very beginning when I was undiagnosed, the doctors had told me that I need an MRI, a magnetic resonance imaging scan. It's basically just a picture of your brain. I bet a bunch of you have had it on different joints or bones if you've had any injuries. Um, and they were doing this test to find out if I had multiple sclerosis. If anybody knows a bit about multiple sclerosis, it's a degenerative disease, and it continues to get worse and worse. So here I am, and they've just ordered the test. I mean, they haven't diagnosed me with anything. They've just ordered the test. And I'm like 25 years down the road in my mind, and I'm picturing myself, and I won't be ha- able to have children, and, and who's going to ever want somebody like that? And, And what good would I be on this earth? And I'm not even kidding with you, fire. I began to really pray. I prayed, Lord, would you take care of my mother? Would you take care of my father? Lord, if I know that I don't want to take my life or anything like that, but Lord, if my life is going to continue to be this painful, would you just take my life? Would you take me to be with you sooner than later? These are the thoughts that I had in my mind. I became defined by my situation. I let my situation dictate what I would do, how I would act. It became who I was. Back then I believed the word of man and I believed the word of the enemy. It's funny because we get lied to by the enemy, yet if a human lied to us, we would want to know if we're being lied to, correct? I mean, if you're sitting here tonight and someone is lying to you, none of us would sit there and say, please, continue to lie to me. None of us would do that. Yet with the enemy, he speaks lies to us, and we allow him to. And I allowed him to completely. Here's how the process stopped. Number one, when you have a thought, Scripture says that we're to take captive our thoughts and make them obedient to Jesus Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 10.5. This passage I knew, but I didn't get it. I didn't know what it meant. I mean, in in practicality, if we have a lustful thought, what do we do with that? Like, do we shut our brains off? Do we just remove the thought? I mean, the thought comes back, and it's so hard, and we beat ourselves up, and why am I thinking that? And and what do we do with that? How do we turn that thought off? How do we stop that instead of going down a, a destructive path? Here's what we do. And we do this even if it's 100 times in the same day. Even if it's from one minute to the next and we do it again, you replace the thought. So first, you acknowledge where the thought came from. Okay, most of the time, negative thoughts are from the enemy. However, we can place negative thoughts in our lives, and the enemy can use other people, God-filled people, to speak discouragement to our lives. So acknowledge where the thought came from. Number two, agree with God for his truth in your life. 
agree. It's simple. It's just something in your heart. You go, but Lord, I want to believe what you say about me. I want to be defined by you. And number three, you speak the scripture. You speak truth to that lie. Okay, so for example, um, the relationship situation we had here on this side of the spectrum. Here we are, we've been rejected, we've been dumped. It's horrible. And really, in all seriousness, it stinks. And you have every right to feel bad. But number one, when those thoughts start coming in that say you're no good enough, here you go again, another rejection. No one will ever choose you. You'll never find the perfect person for you. All of these things that begin to tear our mind, that get us to go down and down and keep our eyes off of God, the enemy's whole goal is to get us separate from God. That's it. If he does that, he wins. And he does that and he tries that through lies. So here we go. This is the situation. Number one, let's acknowledge, all right, well, that thought is probably from the enemy because it's negative and it's destructive and it tears down who I am. It does no good for me. So I'm, I'm pretty sure it's from the enemy. All right, maybe it's from me. Maybe it's, it's a, a process that I've trained myself in. Regardless, number two, I'm going to agree with Jesus Christ. I want to believe what God says about me. I want to believe that God has plans for me. And I want to believe what he says about those plans in my life. And number three, here we go. We pick up that sword. And Psalm 139.16 says, All the days ordained for my life were written in your book. And Proverbs says that many other plans of a righteous man, but the Lord determines his steps. Isaiah 55.11 says, For the Lord my maker is my husband. Jeremiah 29.11 Many of the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in a future. Okay, how about who I am? I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I am justified. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. There is no fear nor condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He has not given me a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. Lord, your scripture says, I will lead the people in the way that they know not. And something in us begins to happen. What we thought, we acknowledge, we agree, and we spoke has now affected number two, who we, how we act. Our immediate response has completely been affected. I went to the doctors about a year and a half after being sick, and I was still horribly, horribly sick. And I went in with questions, and I sat down with the doctor, and I said, will this ever end? This is like the enduring thorn in my flesh. Will this ever end? I know in theory I'm supposed to be healed, but why, why isn't it going away? And the doctor said to me that this just may be something I'll have to deal with. I may have pain forever. And that was one of my worst fears. He got up and he walked out of the office. Doctors don't always have the best bedside manner, do they? And he spoke a very discouraging word over my life. And maybe you're here tonight, and there has been a very discouraging, destructive word spoken over your life. I pray that you would do this. I'm sitting there, and the doctor leaves, and I begin to just, just weep. I'm so emotional at this point, and I'm crying, and I'm by myself. And, um, you know, he had left me to get ready so that I could go. And I'm sitting in there just, Lord, I can't do this. I cannot continue like this. How can I be of any use to you like this? God, what am I going to do? And something in me said, I know those thoughts. I've been here before. Those are those fiery darts that keep coming back at you. And they're the same ones that had prior defined my life. And I said, I'm not going to do that anymore. That is directly from the enemy. And I want to believe God's truth for my life. And I picked up the sword. Lord Jesus Christ, I know that your scripture says, by your stripes I am healed. Lord, even if you do not remove this disease from my life, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I will not bow down. And Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you would take this cup from me, but nevertheless, I will be done. And Lord, I know that your scripture says that you can use all things for the good of those who love them and are called according to your purposes. And I stood up, and I wiped the tears right off my face, and I walked out of that office 
untouched, unmoved. My immediate response had been incredibly affected by what I thought. And the process was growing in me. And maybe, maybe you were on this side of the spectrum, the one that had everything good and the one that there was never anything wrong with. And maybe you're not all that prideful about it, but you can really relate to the idea that it's hard to trust in God because you really haven't been pushed to that edge of having to trust in God. And let's just say that, that your roommate accuses you of being, I don't know, messy or inconsiderate, which you're never. And your immediate response prior to the transformation of God's word in your life would have been, who does he think he is? I mean, really, I am not inconsiderate. I am not full of myself. That would have been your response. However, you have learned the truth. You have learned the scripture. And you have learned that God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And you have learned that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you have learned that God has forgiven you so you can forgive others. And you have learned your respective place underneath the scripture of God. And instead you turn to your roommate and you say, I'm sorry, whether you're right or wrong. And you receive, receive restoration to the friendship. Because you know that scripture says, if all possible, live in peace with one another. You know the scripture, and now your immediate response has been completely affected by Jesus Christ. Why is it that some of us are sitting here tonight and are thinking, you don't know the temptation that I've struggled with. You don't know the struggle that I've gone through. You're right, I don't. But Jesus Christ does, and his word says that there is no temptation that has seized you, except that, get this, that which is common to man. And it says that God is faithful. He will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. This is your way to stand up under it. This is it. God can conquer all temptation. God can remove any kind of addiction in your life. This is it. This is how you do it. What we thought, we acknowledged, agreed, and spoke affected number two, how we acted, which now has affected who we are. First time I knew I was affected by scripture and I was defined by it. The first time I was able to walk as a daughter of the king and know who I was in him. You're going to laugh at this. In April, April 4th to be precise, some of you know, some of you don't, I fainted, I passed out, and I fainted so awkwardly that I whacked my head on the floor, and I got a concussion. And with that concussion, I got amnesia. You're not going to laugh at that part, but here's the part you're going to laugh at. The amnesia was really pretty severe, and I was going through the same set of questions, and it was like Groundhog Day. No joke. Like, I would, I would wake up, or this is what I thought I was waking up, and I would say, is this because of the Lyme disease? Where am I? What happened to me? My parents were there with me. They would answer the questions. Is this because of the Lyme disease? What happened to me? Where am I? They would answer the questions. Is this because of the Lyme disease? Where am I? What happened to me? I'm not kidding. This went on for three to five days. God bless you, Mom and Dad. <laughs> um, so I had this accident. It was pretty severe. They took me to the hospital. In the hospital, they have me in a neck brace, and my spine's all wrapped and taped, and I can't control where I'm going. I can't control um, anything about my physical body. They're taking me everywhere. They're moving me where they want me to be moved. I can't even know what I'm talking about. I'm talking gibberish to them. I didn't know who I was. I, it was so bad, I thought I was still living in Florida, which was three years ago. So the doctors are asking me questions. And again, this story has been told to me because I don't have any recollection of it now. But the doctors are ask, asking me questions, and they're going through their whole list to figure out what type of head injury this is. And they're saying, do you remember this? Do you remember that? Do you remember this? And out of frustration, the doctor goes, well, what do you remember? I don't know. But my parents said to me that what I said was so clear. My words were mumbling for days. What I answered the doctor was so clear. I said, Psalm 139 says, oh, Lord, you have searched me and you know me. 
You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. And the doctor made me stop right there. <laughs> I could have went right through that whole text. Because scripture had defined who I was. I didn't know my name. But I knew the living God. No matter what happens to your body, no matter what trauma you have been through or will go through, no matter what hardship, the soul remains what we have invested into it. The soul is defined by what we put into it. So put in the scripture. Put in the word of God. Because that will define who you are. And the soul is untouched no matter what happens to the body. So now, when you face that rejection... You know that you know that there is a God who is able and in control. And when you face correction from someone and everything in you wants to give it right back to them, you know that you know that God is in control. And you humble yourself in perspective for where you stand before the Lord. Matthew Henry has a quote. There should be a slide for this. He quotes, the word of God is a sword. Matthew Henry is a, um, a commentator, and this is what we use to exegete scripture, to understand scripture. And I use Matthew Henry a lot in my studies. He says that the word of God is a sword. It is a weapon both offensive and defensive. It is, in the hand of God, able to slay both sin and sinners. It is a sharp sword. No heart is so hard that it is able to cut it. It can divide asunder between the soul and the spirit. That is, between the soul and those sinful habits that by custom have become another soul or seem to be essential to it. It is a sword with two edges and it turns and cuts every way. There is an edge to make a wound, get this, and an edge to open a festered wound in order to bring its healing. There's no escaping the edge of this sword. If you turn aside to the right hand, it has an edge on that side. If on the left hand you will fall upon the edge of the sword on that side, it turns every way. Fire, we have now taken our thoughts captive. And we have now learned how to use the sword. We have the tools. This is what the passage then says will happen. Remember the passage we read at the beginning. It says we will receive manna and a white stone with a new name. The hidden manna is the influences and comforts of the Spirit of Christ in communion with us. What this means is concussion, broken body, whatever hard situation you are here tonight with. God is here in communion with us. It's the same way that you are looking at me and I am speaking to you. That's the type of communion that you can have with Jesus Christ. It's that real. He stands with you, beside you as you pick up the sword the white stone with a new name engraven upon it. The white stone is absolution from the guilt of sin. There's an ancient custom that gives white stones to those who are acquitted on trial, and it gives black stones to those who are condemned. The new name is the name of adoption. And adopted people take on the name of their new family into which they're adopted. No one can read the evidence of a man's adoption except himself. And if he perseveres, he shall have both the evidence of sonship and the inheritance. Fire, I am no longer the sick girl. I stand before you. Three weeks ago, I went to my specialist in Manhattan. And he said that I am in the early stages of remission. Hmm. Praise God. Not only that, fire... He has no idea why. No idea. His goal was to make me sicker so that then he could treat that. He took me off of everything, and instead of getting sicker, you all watched it, those of you in my life community, week after week I became stronger and stronger. I know why. I know why I'm better today. The Word of God has defined my life and has changed me so much. 
I wouldn't trade these few years of illness and hardship for anything because God taught me who I am in Him. That no matter what happens in this world, our identity is not affected when we are with Jesus Christ by no matter what comes in and out of our lives. If we keep our eyes central on Him and not on the peripheral situations, He will walk with us and He will talk with us and He will show us how to use His Scripture. And you will find the transformation in you. I like so much who better who I am now than the girl that had her life all planned out. And I don't know what tomorrow holds. And I'm still not back to perfect health. But I know who holds tomorrow. Amen? Amen. What we thought, acknowledge, agree, and speak affected how we acted, which affected who we are. Proactively using the sword of the Spirit is what saves us. Proactively using the sword of the Spirit is what saves us. And it's a battlefield that we are on, and, and the battles change. And from situation to situation, we need to learn new scriptures, and we need to clothe ourselves in the scripture and let it define who we are. And something begins to happen. We begin to walk a little higher, yet a little humbler. And we know who we are. I pray that tonight you would apply these truths in your life. I am so sorry for some of the situations that you may be in tonight. But I know that God's one who heals. And I know that God's one who knows. And he's one that weeps with you and walks with you. And he's one that holds you when you feel like there's no one who understands what you are going through. He's there with you tonight. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. As the worship team comes, I've asked them to lead a, a specific song. And on your chairs tonight were an index card. And there should be a little pencil as well. For the application time, I'm going to put back up on the screen about eight or ten scriptures. And these are scriptures that I've used. So take one of these tonight, write it down. And if you have to kneel down, bow your head, Go somewhere. And during this song, I want you to begin to memorize this. Even if you're going through it with your lips, don't feel dumb or anything with the people around you. Begin to learn how to pick up your sword and use it. God has given you the tools to fight. God has given you the tools to thrive and not just survive. God has shown you how you will overcome through his word. This is how we will stand and we will walk as S.M. Lockridge walked, knowing who the King of Kings is. Hang in there. God is good. He is the Alpha and the Omega. And nothing has gone by the hand of God that is in your life. Nothing has taken Him by surprise. Things happen in our lives and we feel like, oh, this wasn't in my plan. It went by the hand of God already and He knew. So trust Him. Trust God. Proactively use the sword of the Spirit. Fight. You pick up that sword and you fight this week. God bless you.